In my studies of the Bible, uh, I believe I count three occasions where the Apostle Paul claimed to be the center of sinners. And most of my life, uh, I believe the only reason that he could make that claim is because he lived before I did. My shame has convinced me that it was I and not Paul that truly is a center of sinners. My story revolves around my alcoholism, 38 years of drinking, how God never gave up on me, how he gave me the gift of desperation, then the gift of sobriety, and now a life that I thought I never would have, better than I ever dreamed possible. Hope. Everyone needs some. Welcome to the In All Podcast, a production of Mercy Street. These stories are from hope dealers at Houston, Texas, and everyday misfits found in the Bible. We hope you find your story and God's story of radical grace. My, uh, my first real memories, like many of us, began when I was in first grade. I remember walking home from school every day and throwing any of the schoolwork that didn't have a perfect grade on it in the gutter so that my parents wouldn't realize or they wouldn't be able to see it. Already at six years old, I felt that I couldn't let the world see the real me just because I wouldn't measure up. And still today, I still struggle with that measuring up. On the surface, my childhood appeared to be relatively normal. My dad worked and provided well. My mom started working when we went off to elementary school, and she was always home when I got home. My dad never displayed any signs of, of being a problem drinker. And my mother, well, not so much. I, I believe I learned most of my dysfunctional uh, behavior and my flawed belief system from her. And it was in high school that I, took the, that I really took the wrong turn in life that would send me down a path that I would pursue for 38 years before I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. Drinking and drugging were taking on a whole, taking on an increasingly more dominant role in my life. And on September 25th in 1976, a few of my friends and I went out partying. I woke up on September 26th at Memorial City Hospital and realized that I'd been in an automobile accident. My dad was there with me, and I remember asking him where Charlie was. Uh, Charlie, well, his eyes teared up, and I knew he didn't have to say a word because Charlie didn't make it and I was the one that was driving the car. Because of a series of miracles, I was not made to pay any legal consequences for my actions then. But shame and guilt, however, would become one of my closest companions for many years to come. Soon thereafter, I married my high school sweetheart. We bought our first house and started a job in the oil field. That was an excellent place for me because it seems like everybody out in the oil field shared my propensity to love consuming abnormal amounts of alcohol. And then in 1984, simultaneously, the oil field and my marriage collapsed. So I did what any red-blooded American boy would do. I picked myself up by the bootstraps, went to bartending school, and moved to South Padre Island to start a new life. <laughs> so, uh, within a year, I realized that uh, basically I was just floundering through life. Uh, a good friend of mine and I decided to take one last fling before we decided to grow up. 
We sold most of everything we had, put the rest of it in storage, bought a couple of round-trip open-ended tickets to Europe, and then for the next three and a half months, we went hitchhiking through Western Europe and Northern Africa. And while that might seem like a irresponsible act, I, I learned more about myself in that time and about the world than any other time in my life. It was really a great experience. After running out of money, however, we moved back to, came back to the States, and at 25 years old, I decided it was time to grow up and get an education and take life seriously. Now, borrowing $1,000 from my dad, I enrolled at University of Texas at Arlington and spent the next five years working my way through school as a bartender. Somehow, by the grace of God, though, I managed to get my BBA, get my degree, and immediately land my first real professional job. And I befriended one of my co-workers, and then that Christmas season, or that holiday season, he invited me to a party at, at his house where I met his sister, Carrie. And by the following May, we were engaged to be married, and then married that November. And early in our relationship, even before we got married, I talked to Carrie about my alcoholism, and it didn't faze her a bit. She supported me 100% in attending AA and working a spiritual program of recovery. So that really began, you know, my first serious bout with sobriety, four or five years there. Anyway, we bought a house and started building a life together. And then in March of 91, we learned that Carrie was pregnant. It had to be a boy because ever since we started dating, we talked about when is Zach going to come live with us? So we had to have a boy. Anyway, on Friday at work, I answered the phone and she blurted out that she was pregnant. I rushed home to celebrate. The next Friday at work, I answered the phone again, and it was Carrie again. This time she said, I'm positive. And I knew what that meant. She was HIV positive. Now the real battles begin. She was immediately transferred to a doctor in the medical center that specialized in these types of pregnancies. It was assumed from the outset that the pregnancy would be terminated. Since the kid had a 50-50 chance of being positive and dying of AIDS, why even bring him into the world? You know, I was no spiritual giant at the time, uh, and I don't know why I fought hard for it, but I did. And finally I asked her, you know, I said, hey, if Zach was a year old today and we found out that he was HIV positive, you know, would we kill him? And I don't know what happened, but that question, I guess God used that question to change her mind. And she brought uh, pregnancy to full term. Any kid, every kid that was born to an HIV-positive mother was born HIV-positive. And then sometime later, about six months, they would either turn negative or they turn positive. Unfortunately, Zach became negative, and I never contracted it. Today, Zach's 28 years old, and I consider him to be one of the most precious gifts from God. He's my son, he's my friend, he's my hero. When he was four-year-old, however, Carrie did pass away, and I became a single father. I had no idea how I was going to pull this one off. Work as a salesman that travels 40% of the time, raise a four-year-old kid as a single dad. Not to mention that when Carrie died, so did that sobriety again. Well, God provided in ways that I could have never imagined. It was pretty hard, but God gave me the strength to do it, and we got through. You know, he made it through school, and then he got accepted to Berkeley School of Music in Boston, Massachusetts. But after Zach went off to school and I was alone in the house, my, my life started falling apart again. In and out of AA, in and out of church, I had tried a hundred ways to quit drinking. 
And my self-hatred had gotten to a point that I truly believed that death would be an improvement for me. You think back to that little boy in first grade when shame dictated that everything that he conceals every part of his life that was less than perfect. And then add to that the shame and the guilt of being responsible for another person's life. In April of 2012, I started AA again. For six months, I was never able to put together more than a couple of days or a couple of weeks of sobriety. Finally, on November the 19th, it was about 10 o'clock at night, I sat at my dining room table by myself, and I had my bottle of scotch, had my Bible, and my pistol. After enough scotches, I bowed my head and said, God, please, if you will only answer one prayer in my life, grant me success in ending this life. I know what the end of a gun barrel tastes like. And thankfully, though, this story doesn't end there. I finished my prayer, and immediately after that, nothing happened. No heavenly choirs, you know, no angelic voices, and for some reason, I just set the pistol down and went to bed. It took me about a year to realize that God did indeed answer that prayer. He ended that life and gave me a new one, and I have not had a drink of alcohol since that time. I'll never forget the day about two years later when Zach and I were driving down Cypress, North Houston. He looked at me and said, Dad, I am so proud of you. Usually a dad tells that to his son. And even though the roles were reversed, I would take no amount of money or anything to trade that for hearing those words. And God has also given me Jennifer. We recently celebrated seven years together. Over the last eight years, I've lost my mother, my brother, and most recently my dad. And in each of those cases, I was able to make it right with each family member before they passed away to make my amends. And at no time during those losses did I find it necessary to take a drink in order to make it through. Two years ago, my uh, sponsor and I stood at Charlie's grave. My I sobbed like a child for what I had done to him. I finally made my amends to him two years ago. And I pray that my life is a living amends for all the pain that I've caused his family. Now that I've been given a gift greater than I could have ever imagined, the gift of peace that surpasses all understanding. And each morning I tell God that I surrender to him my will and my life. Take me, just do whatever you want. Many mornings I remind him that I believe that the miracle he gave me on November 20th of 2012 is no less a miracle than he went when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He surely raised me from the dead and gave me a life that's better than I ever could imagine. As a recovering alcoholic, I have two avenues by which I can pursue God, AA and the church. Before recovery, I was not able to find God in the church. As I started my journey to recover, the scales fell from my eyes and I finally felt God's presence and realized that he was there even for me. I found him in AA, and then I was able to bring him to church with me. From the big book, I'd like to quote a couple of paragraphs that describe that process. We call them the promises. It says that we, will, <clears throat> we are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. 
that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Today I stand here before you blessed beyond all belief. God has used my addiction, my rebellion, my mistakes to bring me to a richer life than I could have ever had otherwise. Thanks for listening. If this story inspired you, check out more In All Stories wherever you listen to podcasts. Know someone who needs hope? Share this podcast with them. This podcast is brought to you by Mercy Street, a church community in Houston, Texas. We create a safe harbor of hope and transformation so all may experience the radical grace of God. Go to www.mercystreet.org.